Welcome to the Mountain Brook Baptist Church podcast. We pray that this message will help you in your walk with Christ. The title of Dr. Spawn's sermon today is The Righteousness of Faith. The big idea is that Paul shows that all who place faith in Jesus Christ are declared righteous in the same manner as Abraham was when he believed in God's goodness. I invite you to find a Bible and turn to page 10, Genesis 15. We're going to read Genesis 15, 1 through 6. And then we're going to flip over to page 797 and read Romans chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. If you weren't here last week, um, we started a new sermon series where we're walking through the life of Abraham, and we're pulling out certain episodes in Abraham's life that then we find explanation of in the New Testament. So Abraham is such an important and central figure for us understanding our faith and important doctrines of our faith, and so we're going to spend these days up until Easter Sunday looking at Abraham and thinking about what we learn about our own faith as we look at his journey. So with that in mind, I invite you to listen as I read Genesis chapter 15, beginning in verse 1. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield and your very great reward. But Abram said, O sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? And the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, You have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Then the word of the Lord came to him, This man will not be your heir, but a son coming from your own body will be your heir. He took him outside and said, Look up at the heavens and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. Verse 6, and Abraham believed the Lord, and he credited it to him as righteousness. And then in Romans chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. What then shall we say that Abraham, our forefather, discovered in this matter? If, in fact, Abraham was justified by works, he had something to boast about, but not before God. What does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. It is the middle of March, and that can mean only one thing in America, that March madness is upon us. Even those of you who are not college basketball fans might find yourself drawn into the fray in coming days. Maybe your family will do a bracket challenge. Maybe the people in your office will get together. And you'll all try to predict which team will make it to the national championship and be able to win the coveted trophy. Now, one of the things that makes March Madness so fun is that it's so unpredictable. It's nearly impossible, maybe it is, have proven so far at least, to be impossible to pick a perfect bracket. And that's at least in part because the improbable often happens. That some team that you didn't even know exists today, maybe before the end of the tournament, will be the Cinderella story and will somehow overcome all these odds and beat someone they should not beat in the tournament. It's kind of the classic David and Goliath story. 
And I think one of the reasons that we enjoy it so much is that there's so much in our life that seems to be predictable. We just know how things are going to play out so often. And every now and then, when we come upon something that is improbable or impossible, we're drawn to it because it seems to be so rare. We know a lot of things. We can do a lot of things. We can control a lot of things. And when we run into something that seems to go against our ability to be able to accurately predict it, we're drawn to it. The impossible thing that you and I face in the March Madness Challenge is the improbability is so great that we really can't figure it out. As I think about our faith and the idea of impossible and the improbable, I'm reminded that you and I often struggle in our relationship with God because we, we don't understand that the foundation of our faith really is built on the idea that God is going to accomplish the impossible in our lives. That through what he did in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ and this new status that we have as righteous through faith in him, it's not something that we can accomplish in our own power and in our own effort. And sometimes we wear ourselves out because we think that everything is up to us. If I can just do this well enough and just read my Bible enough and go to church enough, even on the Sunday when I lose an hour of sleep, and give enough money and do all these things, then maybe I can measure up to some standard of righteousness that is out before me. But the truth of the matter is that is impossible. It's not improbable. It's impossible. And faith is believing that God can do something for us, yet he's even done something already for us that we could never do for ourselves. We find rest through what God has done for us in Christ. Abraham was a person who needed God to do something for him that he could not do for himself. Something that seemed and truly was impossible. I love Abraham because of his candor and his conversation with God. God comes to Abraham and he says, I am going to be your shield and your reward. And how does Abram respond to this truth that God gives him as his word comes to him? He says, Lord, how in the world is this going to be the case? That you're going to be my shield and my reward. I left and I set out on this journey that you called me to. You said you're going to make my name great. You're going to turn me into a great nation. You're going to bless me so that I would be your source of blessing to others. But the reality of it is that there is no child in my house yet. How in the world are these things going to come to pass? This guy, Eliezer of Damascus, not my child, is going to be the heir of everything that I have. And then the word of the Lord comes to him again. He says, this man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and he said, look toward heaven and number the stars if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. Now, from everything 
that Abraham could see this seems to be impossible. Abram knows how the world works. Every day that passes, he's not getting any younger. And the prospects of he and Sarah having children at this point don't seem great, which is why Abraham protests to God in the first place. And the Lord says, in spite of everything that you can see, in spite of all the evidence to the contrary, one day you and Sarah are going to have a child. And not just that, but come outside with me, Abram. Look up at the sky. If you can count the stars, that's how many offspring you are going to have one day. And Abraham, according to Genesis 15, 6, believed the Lord. Abraham believed what God said was going to come to pass and it was credited to him as righteousness. This term righteousness is a legal term, so it was credited that he was acceptable in God's sight because of his belief that God would accomplish something that seemed to be impossible in his life. When we turn to the book of Romans, Paul picks up on this figure of Abraham, and he's going to draw these comparisons between Abraham's faith and our faith to help us understand how it is that you and I are declared righteous before the Lord. Now, the book of Romans is, in many New Testament scholars' opinion, kind of the high point of Paul's theology. He starts out in Romans chapters 1 and chapter 2 by basically helping everybody see that they can't measure up to God's standards. The pagans and the Gentiles who do all these wild things that are outside of God's law they fall under God's condemnation. And if the Jewish people felt any better, Paul turns his focus to them and he says, just because you have the law doesn't mean that you're going to be a part of God's people. That ultimately the thing that makes you a part of God's people, he will show us in Abraham, is your faith. So everything is kind of doom and gloom early on in the book of Romans. Romans 3.23 is probably a verse that you Learn somewhere along your vacation Bible school or Sunday school journey through a Baptist church if you grew up in that way. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. One thing we all have in common this morning in this sanctuary that that verse is true of us. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And our question, the big human dilemma, is what are we going to do about it? What are we going to do about the truth that you and I have sinned and fall short of God's glory? And there is this impulse in us that we, that we want to make things right. That's one of the things that's true about me. If I've done something wrong, it drives me crazy until I can do everything in my power to try to make it right. I'll have to tell you that probably... The worst that uh, comes out in Wayne Splawn has been in church league basketball in the past. Not the most gracious loser, and sometimes my competitive spirit has gotten the best of me. Maybe I did something or said something that I wish I hadn't, and then I go home and I lay there in the bed and stare up at the ceiling, and I think, oh, Lord, please let tomorrow come so I can call that person or text that person. And I'm just longing for that forgiveness to be given to me that I know that I need. I want to make it right. 
And you and I feel that way, if you're like me at least, often when you mess up and you fall short of God's glory, that there's something in you that wants to make it right. And the truth of the Bible is that you and I can't make it right. That if there was this righteousness through the law that you and I could be good enough to earn God's favor or approval, then Christ died for no purpose. And so Paul gets into this discussion about how it is that we're made righteous through faith in what God has done for us. He picks it up in Romans chapter 4, verse 1. What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? For if he was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. Now, it's fascinating to think that you and I would hold up, model at, hold up Abraham as a model of faith. We would generally say Abraham's a pretty good person. And we look back and we see all that he did. And there's, a, there's an aspect of that which is true. That according to human standards, Abraham had a little bit to boast about. But Paul says before God, Abraham had nothing about which he could boast. Verse 3. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Paul draws on an illustration with which you and I can relate very easily. If you work hard at your job and you get paid... Maybe you don't necessarily just walk into the boss's office and say, thank you, thank you, thank you for paying me this week. You have a contractual agreement. You do this much work, you get this much money. And if they don't pay you, then maybe you're going to hire your lawyer and say, hey, this is the agreement that we had. I did this, now it's upon you to do this for me. And Paul says that, that Abraham's righteousness does not work in that way. That what God did in giving him salvation and declaring him righteous was not something that God had to do in his life, but he did it as a free gift through the faith that Abraham showed that God could indeed do what God had promised. And it's fine for us to think about this work that God did in Abraham's life, but what does it matter for you and for me as followers of Christ? Verse 9, Paul says, Is this blessing then only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? For we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he had been circumcised? It was not after, but before. He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. So Paul is saying that that God declared him righteous through his faith before he had done anything to make himself acceptable in God's sight. And if you read throughout the New Testament, you know that circumcision is a huge issue that Paul is trying to sort out people's understanding. That it had become this thing that if they took on this sign of the law, then they felt like they were righteous or members of full standing in God's people. In our contemporary service, we're going to have three baptisms today. And sometimes when you grow up Baptist and you ask people, are you a follower of Christ, what's the first thing they're going to talk about? The day that they were what? Baptized. 
And baptism is a wonderful thing and an ordinance that we follow here at the church. But it's always important for us to separate this outward response, this thing that we do in obedience to Christ's command with the righteousness that we've given through faith in Jesus Christ. So in a similar way, he says, Abraham was not justified because he was circumcised. That happened a long time after. That Abraham didn't have the law when he was declared righteous before the Lord. Verse 11, he received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he held by faith while he was still uncircumcised. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised so that righteousness would be counted to them as well and to make him the father of the circumcised who are not merely circumcised but who also walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. So Paul says that this righteousness that God granted to Abraham in response to his belief that God would accomplish the impossible in his life, the whole purpose of it would be to ultimately find fulfillment in what God would do through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That our belief in God's power to overcome the grave and death and sin and hell and to declare us righteous before him is based in our ability to believe the faith that we exercise that despite all outward appearances, we stand now fully justified and reconciled to the Father because of what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. I can remember one Easter Sunday feeling the weight of trying to explain Christianity to a bunch of people who are so used to Christianity that we have a hard time remembering what truly is the foundation of our faith. I was preaching in the contemporary service that day, and there's, there's few things that preachers enjoy more than preaching on Easter Sunday and declaring the hope that we have in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, but I felt this huge weight that day because it really is when everything has kind of this thin layer of Christianity on it, and it's ethics, and it's morals, and there's politics, and everything's thrown into the stew that sometimes we have a really hard time understanding the foundation of our faith is not those things. But it's our belief that God raised Jesus from the dead and that on the cross, he paid the penalty for our sins. When he raised him from the dead, he overcame death and the grave so that you and I, even now, stand before him perfectly righteous. And if you're like me, it's hard to believe because you know yourself really well. I could give you so many examples of why I don't feel righteous before the Lord. From driving in traffic, people who can't drive nearly as well as I can, people who don't see things the way I see it, people who don't understand that generally I'm right if they would just get on the same page as me. And there's all this frustration and there's all these temptations that seem to assail me every day. 
And sometimes I feel defeated in my Christian life that I can't get my act together more. And the moment when I start looking to my own ability, the moment when I start thinking, am I ever really going to measure up and meet God's standards? There seems to be no certainty in my life, and the joy that I ought to know through the faith that I have in Jesus dwindles. And here's the truth, that you and I should never look to ourselves and what we can do for our assurance before God. That it truly is miraculous. That it truly is the case that God has accomplished the impossible. That even a sinner like me, even now, stands fully acceptable before this holy God that we sang about earlier, totally because of what God has done for me in Jesus. The refrain in that song is so good that the choir sang just a moment ago. I need no other argument. I need no other plea. It is enough that Jesus died and that he died for me. I hope that in your life and I hope that in my own life that more and more I understand that this relationship that I have with God is wholly dependent on what God has done. That he has accomplished the impossible in my life. That he is the God, as Paul would say, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence things that do not exist so that you and I might experience the hope and the joy that God would have us to know through our faith in Jesus Christ, that we have peace with him even now, as crazy and as impossible as that seems. I invite you to pray with me. Father, we thank you for your word. And Lord, we know ourselves, and some of us know each other so well, that we know that we can never measure up to the standard of righteousness and holiness that you would have us to attain. That the harder that we try to keep the law, it seems like the more difficult it is. And some days we look to our own abilities and our own sense of righteousness for some assurance. But Lord, I pray that you would give us more of an understanding of what it means to be people of faith. That you have accomplished something that is not possible in our own power or in our own abilities or in our own righteousness. That you have raised Jesus from the dead and that those of us who have confessed our faith and believe in him as our Savior, even now, we experience peace with you through our faith in Christ. That we are your sons and your daughters. Lord, help us to continually hear and believe the good news of Jesus. So that when we come to the end of this life, 
that we are people who believe that when Christ returns, you will raise us from the dead and that you will finally and fully allow us to experience peace with you that we long to know. We offer this prayer in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. We pray that today's message brought you hope as we continue to love God and live with grace and generosity. Be sure to check back here for more podcasts. And as always, go out and do the Lord's good work.